not about religion. It's about a relationship. Let's all just be completely honest for a minute. We've all probably said this. We for sure all heard this. I know I've said it and heard it basically my entire life. And this is how this little phrase is how I was kind of unofficially taught to fend off any accusation of being a religious person when, when maybe evangelizing or trying to share my faith or if I was in a conversation I wanted to downplay someone else's concerns about following Jesus, I would use this, use this little phrase, well, listen, don't worry, it's not about joining a religion, it's about a relationship. He just wants a relationship with you. We don't have to worry about all that religion business. But is it? Is that, is that true? This phrase, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. I think, like most of the phrases we're going to look at in this little series, I think they're just too simplistic. And they're kind of simplistic, reductionistic uh, manner is just makes them riddled with problems and actually unknowingly says and teaches and forms us in all kinds of negative ways. But first, I do want to acknowledge a, a grain of truth in this statement, for just for clarity's sake. If by this phrase, it's not about religion, it's about a relationship, if by that we mean that religion does not save, then I would simply reply with a, a hearty yes and amen. Preach it, pastor. Come on. Let's take up it. Like, I would just, I'd be right there with you. Religion doesn't save. Jesus saves. Jesus is the Savior of the world, and there's no other name under heaven by which anyone can be saved or made right or reconciled to God. No, religion in any way, shape, or form cannot do that. So to that, I would agree. But if we mean that Jesus did not come to start a religion, and thus religion has no part of Jesus' work, then I would say, let's pump the brakes, maybe, kind of, sort of, let's talk about this some more. I mean, true, Jesus did not come to start a new world religion. But that's mostly because, really, completely because he already had one. <laughs> Jesus was Jewish. He was a devout religious Jew in Second Temple, the Second Temple period of Israel. He didn't come to start a new religion because he already belonged to one. I mean, think about it. Jesus performed certain rites and rituals, like being circumcised on the eighth day. He observed certain feasts and fasts. He prayed certain prayers. He read and memorized certain scriptures, which he deemed were inspired and authoritative. He ate certain foods, didn't eat other foods. He observed a particular calendar and held to certain rhythms of life. There's just no way around the fact that Jesus was a devout and observant religious Jew, that Jesus was very religious. And it's also true that Jesus' first followers, it doesn't seem like they thought that they were starting a new religion either. I mean, in their minds, from what we can tell from, I mean, just the New Testament itself, and we can, the, the discussion would for sure go then into to early church history, where things eventually do begin to shift, and we'll talk about that here in a second, but... In the New Testament, they clearly didn't see themselves as starting a new religion. No one in the New Testament woke up on Easter morning, recognized that Jesus had risen from the dead, 
And then forty, and then you know, forty days later, he ascended, and they realized we need to start a new religion now. That's not what happened, and it didn't happen because they saw Jesus as living out the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham, Moses, and David. That they saw Jesus as the climax of Israel's story and history, and in this way, the early followers of Jesus saw themselves as the natural continuation of the Jewish story. I mean, Jesus himself plainly tells us multiple times that all of Israel's scriptures speak about him and find their, their telos, their end, their purpose in his, purpose in his person and work. And this is why when you read the New Testament, one of the dominant issues in the New Testament from the very beginning of Acts is the relationship between Jews and Gentiles because they're trying to figure out what what does this Jesus event, the crucifixion and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, what does that mean with all of our categories? And so they're trying to work that out. But nowhere in there does it say we need to just ditch Judaism. No, no, that Paul's, you know, bold claim is that no, this is the continuation and the fulfillment of the Jewish story. This is where it's been going all along. That's the bold claim of the New Testament. So did... Jesus come to start a new religion? No, no, he didn't, because he already had one, and so did his followers. They all understood Jesus' actions to be the fulfillment and the climax of Israel's story and scriptures. And within that first generation and their following, the question became, how do Jesus' followers organize and facilitate and pass on their belief to others around them, specifically their children and grandchildren. I mean, obviously we saw an explosion of, of conversions of people coming into Christianity in the, it, within the first few generations. So, the, I mean, just pragmatically, the question naturally arose, what are we going to do? How are we going to organize, for a lack of a better word? And that system of organization, that way of keeping their faith and practices alive constitutes religion. So I think it's fairly safe to say that true, Jesus did not come to start a religion, but it was inevitable that one would start because his followers would need a particular way to organize and facilitate and pass on their faith to their family, children, grandchildren. So with, with that all in mind, I think we need to stop saying it's not about religion, it's about a relationship. First, let me give a few reasons here. First, it assumes, I think, a false definition of religion. It, it wrongly categorizes religion. How most, and I would say darn near every evangelical, evangelical believer today thinks about or frames or defines religion is in terms of religion being either dead or alive, right? You go to many churches and you'll even hear them say things like, you know, Jesus came to save us from dead religion. Or you, somebody would come up and give their testimony and say, I was, I was in dead religion my whole life and then Jesus saved me. Or we'll even disparage, you know, uh, another tradition and, and, you know, say that they're dead religion. And you see this in the preaching, too. I mean, you can go to almost any sermon on that's rooted in the Gospels, and immediately the, the antagonists, the bad guys, are always the Pharisees. 
and it's because they're religious, right? It's because they're, they're trying to propagate dead religion first. I mean, yes, the Pharisees had major issues, but first, that's, I think you're reading the text wrongly there. They were after power and influence and were wielding their religion to get it, right? I think that's clearly the scene, the implication when Jesus is on trial and they say, we have no king but Caesar, is it's just a power grab. It's they, they control all the things and here's this upstart prophet who's challenging the status quo and they don't want to give it up. And so they are willing to sell everything to keep that power, even, even their allegiance at that point. But that's... You know, I digress. That's neither here, here nor there at this point. But religion, I, I don't think categorizing in that way as dead or alive is, I don't think is the right way to do it. Religion is not either dead or alive. It's either true or false. And those are two different things. If religion is simply the way that we organize around Jesus, that Jesus we have now placed Jesus in the center of our life individually and communally, and we want to live in that way and then pass that along to others, namely our children, then religion is not dead or alive. It's true or false. Meaning that I think you can give a dead person perfectly, quote-unquote, good religion, and they will misuse it so that it becomes destructive to themselves and to others around them. And we've all known that to be true. And that, I think, is what all of us call dead religion. It's when dead people use even true religion, Christian doctrine. But because they are dead, even the truth of the gospel, the truth of the proclamation of the gospel becomes a weapon in their hands to inflict either self-harm or harm on other people. Likewise, if you give, on the other side, I should say, if you give a living person religion, a person who is already vivified and, and made alive by the Spirit. You give that person religion, and it will help them organize, sustain, and pass on their faith. It will actually aid them. So to claim that religion is ontologically dead or alive, that, that just means inherently dead or alive, I think is to ascribe to it, to religion, something that only God has for himself, and that's life. Only God has life in and of himself. Religion does not have that. Religion is either true or false. In the, it, it, it's a channel in which life or death can flow, depending on who is wielding it. I mean, it's, this is a kind of a crude analogy, but it's, it's, I think it makes the point. It's the old adage of fire, that fire can either keep you warm and cook your food and save your life and it can burn down your house and kill you the same thing and it all depends on who's wielding it and what they're wielding it for i think religion is something more akin to that than dead or alive see christ alone is the one who has life in and of himself he alone can make dead people come to life religion can't do that he alone can resurrect a dead soul heal a broken heart transform a debased mind religion can't do any of that and we all know this to be true. We all know that we can't do any amount of religious activity to bring about the life of God in ourselves, right? I mean, this is the basis of justification by faith alone through grace alone. I mean, Paul asks the Galatians, shall we who have begun in the spirit now continue to perfect ourselves through the works of our own flesh? No, 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 certainly not. 
But listen, newsflash, like ticker coming across the bottom of your screen here, newsflash. If you're a Christian, that means that you believe and do all of the following. That you believe and worship in a particular God. You read a particular book and you deem that book as inspired and authoritative, that you gather with other believers regularly, that you follow a particular calendar, that you pray certain prayers, that you arrange your life in particular ways. My friend, if you do these things, what else could you be but religious? Think about it this way. If you lead someone to faith in Christ, your coworker, your friend, do you want them to read the Bible? Of course you do. So where did you get that Bible? You got it from the church. Do you want them, that person to pray? Absolutely. Who will teach them to pray? The church. Do you want them to worship? Yeah, of course. And who's going to teach them the songs to sing and sing with them? It's going to be the church. And do you want them to meet with other Christians? Yes, of course you do. And where will we meet and gather and do all the other things at church, at a religious institution, doing religious things. We need to stop saying that Christianity isn't about a religion and it's only about a relationship because I think it falsely frames religion as dead or alive and it actually just denies the simple fact that we are. Now, is there a relational aspect to the gospel? Yes, of course. I'm not saying that there isn't. I'm not saying that this is just about some you know, superstructure, some hierarchy, some way of organizing our life. There is a relational aspect. But those two things need to go together. I mean, think about your, fa- your own family unit. You organize yourself in a particular way and do life in a particular way because of the people that you are in relationship with. You can't separate the two, right? The fact that you're in relationship with them makes you organize your family in a particular way, that you take on a last name, you live in a particular place, you do particular things because of who you're in relationship with, and those relationships inform and shape the way in which you organize your life so that you pass down that same way of life to your children. And religion is the same way. And so we can't, when we tell people this isn't about a religion, it's only about a relationship, we're kind of lying to them. I mean, I I think what we're trying, when we say that in those moments, what we're trying to save people from is what I was talking about earlier, that there isn't a bad kind of religion, right? That has been weaponized to do horrific things. The church is surely filled with, quote-unquote, dead people who can quote the Lord's Prayer every week and have a form of religion, of faith in Jesus, but, is, but it is dead. So that surely exists. And so I, I understand the impulse to want to steer people away from that. And I think in the American context that has been so Christianized, So many people have that bitter taste in their mouth for whatever reason, whatever they went through, that we want to, we want to try and present ourselves as different than that. And I, again, I understand that impulse, but when we tell people it's not about religion at all, that it's only about a relationship, we're actually, we're we're setting them up for, for other kinds of failures, or at least not, I think, being completely, completely honest. Second, 
the idea that faith in Jesus is just about your relationship with him, I think is more of a statement of your own and our own modern radical individualism than it is about the historic faith of Christianity. To say that your faith and our faith in Jesus is not about religion, but about your relationship with Jesus completely ignores the fact that Christianity is an inherited faith. As Brian Zahn, a pastor that I listen to and admire and follow, he says this all the time. He says, you don't get to make Christianity up. And he's right. He's true. None of us get to make it up. The faith you profess to believe as a Christian, that the Jesus that you profess to love and worship has been kept alive and passed down from the apostles to you by the church. I mean, there is, this is kind of an astonishing thing to think about, but there is a way, if you were somehow to be able to do it, that you could trace your personal faith back to the apostles. Because every, everyone has received it from someone else. Nobody just woke up. Even those who have had dreams and supernatural encounters. I mean, we have stories of this in the New, New Testament, right? They immediately have to go find someone to tell them what that means to work that out and then plug into a church. And I mean, this is Saul himself, Paul himself, right? So this, that, that keeping alive, that passing down, that apostolic succession from the early church to now, that's, that's religion. And we don't get to make that up. We don't get to change that. We don't get to come around 2,000 year later, years later and just say we get to do whatever we want. It doesn't work that way. But sadly, our false assumptions about religion, which we just discussed, mainly that it's dead or alive, you mix that with our enlightenment, secular, postmodern minds, and we have largely produced an individualized, privatized, and consumeristic faith in Jesus in many people individually and in many churches. And this is, at least in part, the reason in the West that we have something called non-denominational churches. Now, full disclaimer, before I go into this little subject, I'm, I passed, I've, I've only ever belonged to a non-denominational church. So my grandparents started one. My relative pastors at one. I pastored at it. Every church I've ever been to, the organization that I'm currently with, non-denominational. So listen, again, this is not me trying to slam some outsider. This is, I'm trying to have some honest conversation about the world in which we live and the faith in which we inhabit and the, the circles in which we find ourselves so that we can grow. I mean, the reason, this is a little bit of a tangent now, but the reason that I, one of the reasons I call this podcast Upon This Rock is we get this, Jesus uses this imagery that he's going to build his church. But there's certain th- times in building that you have to be able to critique what's standing. You have to be willing to knock down a few things that are standing, and you have to be able to build some new things. And so that's all the, that's, so just disclaimer, that's, that's what, what's going on here, okay? So what, what is a non-denominational church? Well, there's a lot of things, okay? And, and I'm going to, just for the sake of time, going to have to be a little bit simplistic here. It's a church largely that has tried to distance itself from religious systems in order to do their own thing because they have found religion to be dead. Again, I admit that this is an oversimplification in many respects. 
And there are many reasons why non-denominational churches exist, some good, some bad. We don't need to get into all that. But what I am, again, attempting to do is to be honest with what we are and we're not. And the, I'm not, reli- I'm not religious because religion is dead and Jesus came to end religion and he only wanted a relationship. That vein, from at least my experience, runs very deep in many evangelical non-denominational churches. Let me give it an easy example to point this out. Maybe that'll loosen the tension here a little bit. Many, I would say, probably most non-denominational, Pentecostal, charismatic, evangelical churches in the West, most of them, the vast, vast majority, don't practice communion every Sunday. Now, contrast that with most denominations, the the quote-unquote religious churches, the dead religious churches, you know, the Catholics, the Catholics, the Lutherans, the Methodists, the Anglicans, so on and so forth. They do, basically all of them. Why do these religious churches have weekly communion? Well, because that's how the church has always done it. We have, I don't want to get too much into the weeds here, but we have this ancient document called the Didache, which the vast majority of scholars date to the first century. So it's written the same time Paul is most likely writing. And it outlines and prescribes many of the beliefs and practices of early Christianity. You can find it on Google for free. And it's kind of one of the early organizing documents for the church. And one of the things written in there, so we know this to be practiced from the very first generation of Christians. One of the things written in there is weekly communion, the partaking of the Eucharist the taking of the bread and the wine. And not only was it a weekly practice, the Eucharist was the high point of the service. It was the climax of the gathering. It was the end point of of everything else, of the preaching, of the worship. So the question is, why do non-denominational churches in the West not follow the central and historical practice of weekly communion that has literally always existed across basically every denomination for 2,000 years? Again, there's a few answers probably, but I would argue that the biggest reason, I mean, you, I don't know how you would get to any other conclusion. If, if you can, I would love to hear it from you. You can leave a voicemail in the link, in the link below. But I, I think the big reason is we wanted to stay away from anything that seems to be dead religion because that's oppressive. Right, and this really started in the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, that one of the bold ideas of the Protestant Reformation was that every individual person could read the Bible for themselves, pray themselves, and hear God for themselves, and receive forgiveness of sins for themselves. And to all of those things, I say, absolutely, yes and amen. But I think, unfortunately, they did that largely at the expense of the church and its structures and its traditions so that anything that looked and sounded and smelled like dead Catholic religion, in, in air quotes, was just thrown away and done away with. It's kind of like parents who get divorced and the one parent just throws everything away that ever reminded them of their, of their ex. Even the good stuff. It doesn't matter. We just need to get rid of all of it. That's kind of what we did. But we have to be honest. If the apostles, the early church, and the vast majority of church history has always observed the Eucharist as the high point of their weekly gathering, then we're the ones, us non-denominational folk, me, 
We're the ones who have to justify why we're breaking away from that tradition. The onus is on us. We don't, I mean, do we really want to break away from the apostles in the early church in 2,000 years of church history? Do we? I don't know why every church does this, but again, I suspect, I suspect that the fundamental reason is that non-denominational churches don't want to be religious. That the fear is, is that if they do something too repetitively, it will become nothing but, mo- but, but rote me- mechanics and lifeless movement. And I've had many people and pastors tell me as such plainly, Again, that only is true if we frame religion as dead or alive, but I don't think it is. It's either true or false. And so you give a living person the bread and the wine every week, and it brings them life. But because we've wrongly defined and framed what religion inherently is, we've given ourselves a license to make up our own ways, to make up our own traditions and do whatever we want with really no regard for the past. And I, I'm not trying to fire arrows. Again, this is, uh, this is my own people here. Okay, but I think it's true. I, I think we just need to be honest about that. And so this leads me to my, my final reason. So, so reason number two was we, just, we don't get to make Christianity up. We just don't, and we can't think about it in such individualistic terms. We are part of a church historically, globally, generationally, ethnically, and that matters, and we don't get to just do whatever it is that we want to do in the name of me and my relationship with Jesus. So that leads me to my final reason, that we need to stop saying that following Jesus is about only about a relationship and not about religion. Because that phrase easily and eventually, and I've seen this happen, I think actually can lead people away from the church. In the same way that the non-denominational churches have given themselves license to alter foundational practice of the historic church for modern concoctions and whatever, Individuals who frame religion in this way as dead or alive can easily reject the church itself. If following Jesus saves me from dead religion for a personal relationship, then why do I need to stick around for any form of organized church? Right? If, if this is ultimately about Jesus saving me and me and him having a relationship, then when things go sour and south, then why do I need to stick around in the structure at all? Why not just get rid of the structure? And quickly, faith turn, our faith becomes personal, spiritual anarchy, where everybody just thinks that they can do what they want. And if we define religion and our standing with Christ in those terms, it's very easy, I think, to walk away from the church when things get hard or when they're, you're asked to do things that you don't like. Because you can claim that I'm just walking away from the church, but... I still have my relationship with Jesus. But the problem is, and this is why I think saying this is so dangerous in my opinion, that to walk away from the church, the body of Christ, the temple of the living God, is to walk away from from Christ himself. Now that's, there's a million different ways that we could nuance that. There's a million different ways that we could break down that conversation. And I would love to with people if they want to. 
But I think in general, and Paul makes this point explicitly clear, places like Ephesians and Colossians, how can you, how can you have fellowship with the head and not the body? How can you submit to the head if you are not part of the body? Right? You, you can't. The point is you can't. By definition, any member of the body that is separated from the body is also separated from the head. And unfortunately, we hear this kind of justification all the time when people claim to be Christian but don't believe in the church or don't belong to a local church or claim to not be religious because they want to simply do their faith on their own terms. So I think we need to stop saying that Christianity isn't about a religion. It's only about a relationship because it a, it falsely defines and frames religion as something that is dead or alive, and therefore it gives churches and people license to make up their own faith. And it also thereby distances people from the church altogether. Now what we need is for people in, reli- in right relationship with God, practicing healthy religion in, an order, in order to organize, sustain, and pass on their faith to others, specifically their children and grandchildren. And in our day and age, is there any more rebellious thing that you could say than I'm religious? I don't think so. So thank you so much for listening. Again, I would love to get feedback. I'd love to hear your thoughts, questions, pushbacks, nuances. So in the link below in the show notes, you can click on that and it will take you to my show page where you can leave me a, a digital voicemail. And, uh, and if there's something good worth discussing, I'll throw it in a future episode and we will continue the conversation. I would love to have that conversation with you all. So thank you guys so much for checking out the pod. And if you haven't yet, make sure you hit the subscribe button, share this, rate this on iTunes so that other people can find it as well.